our visiting careers officer advised us that if we failed the exam, that we might buy us passage to a minor university or lowly polytechnic. We were basically doomed to dead-end office job, as we were ready too old to take up a trade, unless we were ready to join the army to do so. There was a lot of talk in army recruitment adverts about enlisting and learning to become a mechanic or electrician and even finding the time to master water skiing. There was never much mention of having to shoot people or getting yourself blown up. That year, there were over a million unemployed people in Britain for the first time since the 1930s. And although things were to get a lot worse over the next 10 years. This was enough to make parents anxious and pupils compliant. There were far fewer ships in the Mercy than when my mother was a girl, but there was still a fair bit of trade in contraband. One morning, we were summoned to the school hall for a lecture from the drug squad about the dangers of pet pills and read for cigarettes. If the police officer was intending to instill a fear of these temptations, then he failed miserably with his opening gesture. Reaching into a leather briefcase, he produced what looked like a short length of rough wood covered in clear furniture varnish. It was a large brick of hashish. This he paused for dramatic effect until all eyes drew on the object that he brandished above his head. This is Mary Juana, he continued. In the kind of old-fashioned Liverpool accent, this sounded just like my granddad. And you will be offered it, which sounded quite inviting. He then went on to detail the dire consequences and penalties for those who partook while the brick of Mary Jubana was passed around the assembly hall so that we would be sure to recognize it again. It's easy to imagine that in less innocent times. It might have been returned to him minus several slices removed by a Stanley knife but that morning, it did the circuit of eager hands and curious eyes without being diminished by an inch. I suspect that my other grandfather, Patrick Manis, probably stashed a few illicit items in his kit bag when he came home from ocean voyages as a bandsman on the passenger liners in the 20s. But the only really efficient smuggler in our family was my mother. Then Lillian Ablett's schooling had pretty much ground to a halt in the war years between periods of being evacuated to the countryside and school buildings being bombed or requisitioned in absence of sufficient teachers. By 14, she was looking for work. Lillian was independent by nature and necessity. Her mother, Ada, was already barely able to walk due to the chronic rheumatoid arthritis that would make her housebound within a couple of years, yet insisted on accompanying her daughter to the labor exchange. 
a job as a sales assistant was proposed at Rushworth and Draper, then a prestigious four-story establishment that sold pianos, organs, and brass instruments, that had a fine record department on the ground floor, fine for space with a massive stock of sheet music. There were a number of grand places in Liverpool that a woman of Ada Ablett's background would not have thought to enter. One was the Adelphi Hotel, then resplendent in imitation of a Cunard luxury liner. Another such location was Rushworth's. However, Lillian was unabashed and did not emerge from the job interview to rejoin her mother on the pavement outside for 15 minutes, during which she did enough to convince the manager to take her on and have her trained in the mysteries of record catalogs by a senior sales assistant for a wage of 10 shillings a week. Lillian's confidence in her own opinions about music made her valuable to the senior staff, who knew little or nothing about dance band music or jazz. In return, my ma'am got a basic education in the classical and opera catalog, part of which was to work as an unpaid usher at the Philharmonic Hall. She was eventually able to recognize and recommend the key works of the repertoire, at the time, individual movements of symphonies and concerti were split up over the four-minute sides of 78 RPM records, so the sales assistants were expected to handle the fragile discs and play them for prospective customers in a soundproof audition booth. None of the young women working at the shop ever really wanted to find themselves in this confined space with one particularly famous conductor who would use his guest appearances with the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic as a prelude to attempted seductions of the sales staff.